Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. We conclude uh, Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. There are some concepts that, that I believe are just hard for us as a people to wrap our mind around. This is true universally in and out of the church. Uh, when you say something like the word omnipotence, or eternal, or immutable. It's hard, I think, for us to find proper reference for something that is all-powerful, without end, and unchanging. And the reason I believe it's hard for us to find reference for these things is there is nothing in our daily lives that we encounter uh, apart from God that is all-powerful, that is eternal, that is unchanging. How can there be someone or something who this can be said of? The world looks at this and their response is there simply cannot be. There is not anything in this world that is unchanging. They observe the world around us and the, the observable world is about change, right? We are constantly changing. And if I can't observe something all-powerful, eternal, or unchanging, it cannot be true. And so that's what the world says, that the world dismisses God based upon the fact that he claims outlandish things about himself, things that are obviously not true. I think we in the church are guilty of the same in a much more subversive way. Because we struggle, I still believe, with the idea of something all-powerful, eternal, and unchangeable. It's a difficult concept, and the doubt of it works its way into our practices. I think practically speaking... Uh, we don't treat God as if he were actually these things. Eternal, unchangeable, all-powerful. I mean, let's think about it for a second. If you believe these were true of God, like really true of God, why would we continue to sin? Uh, when we're confronted with the eternalness and unchangingness and the all-powerfulness of God... I believe like we let, allow the doubts to drift into us. And so we drift away. We listen to the world's voice. We begin to turn to self. 
And it is in this state of mind, this doubting, maybe even in a, in a not recognizing kind of way, that the writer of Hebrews comes uh, both to the, the readers of the text initially and to us, and he says to us, Jesus is better. Better than what? Everything. Jesus is better than everything. Last week, we considered five Old Testament passages dealing uh, with how Jesus is better in regards to the angels. And what we ended up seeing is really a, a, just a five ways Jesus is better than everything. He's called the heir of all things. That's one. He was called through, through whom God created the world. The radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the one who upholds the universe with the word of his power. His throne is declared to be that that is everlasting. It is impossible to maintain the authority of scripture while denying the deity of Jesus Christ. And now we see the climax of the writer's argument. We have our next two of the seven verses from the Old Testament proving the superiority of Jesus Christ. While all other things may change, he does not change. While all other things have a beginning and an end, he does not. He is eternal. He is the sure foundation. These are the three things we'll see this morning as we look at the text. Christ, the foundation. Christ the everlasting and Christ the enthroned. Christ the foundation, Christ the everlasting, and Christ the enthroned. We begin at looking at verse 10 at Christ as the foundation. The foundation of what? Everything. We start in verse 10 and we see that. You, Lord, lay the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. He is the foundation of everything, the thing that upon which all else stands. So what do we know about our foundation? What do we know about our foundation? When we talk about what we know about anybody, a person, uh, you, what can you know about me? What can I know about you? We use the word attributes. What are your attributes? How do we describe one another and we do the same thing with God and when you look at theology or the study of theology one of the things you'll often hear talked about when talking about the attributes of God is he has communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes okay that's hard words forget them now forget the words all that they're saying is God has attributes in which we share and he has attributes in which we don't share so we share in Goodness, mercy, holiness, these are attributes that we can have. We may not always have them, but we can have them. We share in them. But he has other attributes which we wholly don't have. He is eternal. He is omnipotent. He is uh, unchanging, or they use the word immutable. If, I hear, if you hear me say today, immutable, I'm going to try to say unchangeable. But that's all it means, unchangeable. Immutable means unchanging or unchangeable. He is unchanging. The heavens, the earth, they will all perish. He says in verse 11, they are like, he says, they'll perish, but your name, uh, 
but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. You ever had that old, real comfortable shirt or pair of jeans or whatever? My other pair of slacks, my other beige pair of slacks, I just had to have a hole fixed in the pocket, right? My keys kept falling through. Because what's the problem with clothes? In fact, I probably have a patch somewhere on the back of this leg. It was starting to wear out, and I patched it. The problem with clothes is that you use them, right? And they wear out. Eventually, I get my buttons dry cleaned enough times they get real brittle. You ever happen when you take a dry clean and their buttons get steamed and they get real brittle? They wear out. They fall apart. And if you look at the observable world, this is a very, we understand that, right? We look at, uh, even from the youngest age, we get sick. We're changing. We're getting older as you get older. You know, this month I'll be 39, February 21st. Nope. Larry was joking with my daughter as she was standing here on one foot, and he goes, I wish I had that balance of being able to stand on one foot like that, and it's the, the nature of getting older, you don't have that balance, you don't have that agility, this whole world, you look at the world around us, we had to cut down trees around our property, why? Because the world is decaying, it is changing, it is being used up, and while everything else changes... While all the observable world changes, and it's everything, right? We talk, you sit down with the leadership of the church. Man, we really need to paint these walls. These walls are starting to get dirty and starting to get chips in them. Or, oh, we need to worry about the air conditioners because they're going to go out. And everything is decaying. Everything is changing. And in the face of a world in which everything is changing, Jesus comes and says, I do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we look at that, and it's so hard. Like, and it's, it's wondrous, right? But it's so hard for us to really begin to wrap our minds around. What does it mean to have something that is unchanging? It's the, it's the um, long... I remember growing up watching the Willy Wonka, right? And, and they have this candy today, the Everlasting Gobstopper. You know what the problem with an Everlasting Gobstopper is? It's not everlasting, Right? Have you ever eaten an everlasting gobstopper? Eventually, it's hard, and it stays there for a long time, but eventually, what happens to it? Gas is in your mouth, break down the sugars, the sugars dissolve. In the movie, he actually had perfected one that was supposed to not ever break down, right? That doesn't exist. Everything is fleeting. Everything is changing, but God does not change. He does not fade away. This is what is said of Jesus. You, Lord, laid the foundations of heaven and earth. This world is not permanent. And the reality is this. It'll soon be gone. And there's so much that we spend time worrying about. I, from the moment I get home and I walk from the back of my door to the front of my house, I think about all the things I need to work, take care of. Oh, there's a crack forming in the wall there. I need to get that filled and paint over it. And Oh, goodness, these floors are, I'm aggravated with these floors. Oh, I need to, and there's any number of things that we're worrying and stressing about on a daily basis. And we can allow those things to be the things that consume us, Right? There's bills to be paid, there's mouths to be fed, there's 
anything that that comes up. We have hobbies that we want to throw ourselves into, and we pour ourselves into these things, but they're fleeting everything from jobs to family to things. They're all fleeting. Like an old pair of clothes, you'll soon have to throw them in the, in the, in the trash. But God, God is not fleeting. God does not change. He will remain forever because he is without beginning and without end. And if this is true, if everything else is fleeting, where should we give our time? Where should we give our priorities if everything else is fading away? Because Jesus Christ has done something wondrous. Something wondrous. He has brought the perishable, that's us, before the imperishable, that's God. That's what Jesus has done. He has brought the imperishable to the, or the perishable to the imperishable. We must surrender to him. Stop stressing about everything else and start serving him. Bring it all to the eternal God who loves and cares for us. So Christ is our foundation. We also see Christ is everlasting. Our psalm that we are, the passage from the Old Testament that we've been reading from, that's being quoted here by the author of Hebrews, is Psalm 102. Psalm 102 has one of these lengthy headings. And, and I'm not talking about the little black chapter-like descriptions, right? This is an actual heading written by the author of the psalm. So it, just in case you're ever wondering, the little black headings are not inspired, right? Just in case you're like, at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, it says in black letters, the supremacy of God's son. Now, that's not in the actual letter to Hebrews, right? The, the letter of Hebrews was not divided in these little sections. But this part is, the subtitle a prayer for one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. It's a long, right? That's like a dissertation title. If you ever see someone do a, a doctorate work, their title is always like eight pages long the title. It's a long title. And the first half of, of the psalm is all the writer, the writer of the psalm laments the decay of life, the decaying nature of life. And it speaks to the weakness and ulti the ultimate failure of all created things. So we look at, start, starting in verse 3 of Psalm 102. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake, I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All my days my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ash like bread and mingle tears with my drink. The psalmist uh, is describing and lamenting his alienation from God. He is fleeting. And he goes on in Psalm 102 and he says, This is why, because of your indignation and anger, for you have 
taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Uh, the anger of God over his sin is what is being talked about here. He feels separate from God because of his sin. But in the second half of the psalm, the, the writer lifts up his eyes to God and sees a great hope. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come for your servant holds her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. The man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in, in what he's doing, sees him in his eternal reign of peace. By understanding the unchangeable character of God, he finds hope. Now, we just looked at these quickly, looked at these passages from Psalm 102. So in Psalm 102, we have this lament written by a psalm writer to God. And then even an exhortation in the second half. Here's the interesting thing, though. As the writer of Hebrews, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these things of, of the psalm, he applies them to Jesus. This is the wonder, wondrous thing, I believe, about Scripture. Even as an Old Testament uh, psalm writer is writing, writing one thing, God is using it for his purposes, too. If this is true of the Son, if he is the Lord who is enthroned forever, then he is worthy of all our trust. He is worthy for us to turn to him for our salvation. Psalm 102 is God speaking to the Son, as quoted here in Hebrews. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. God the Father says to God the Son, You, Lord, and, and why do I say this? Look at verse 9. But of the Son, he says, right? Who is he? God. Speaking to the Son, and we saw verse 9, we stopped at 10. This is the and. This is still God the Father speaking to the Son. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. This is a wondrous thing that's going on here, that God is calling Jesus Yahweh. That's what's going on here. You know, you say Yahweh. What is Yahweh? This is the Old Testament name, Moses, before the burning bush. Say, I, you say that I am sent me. I am who I am. That's Yahweh. And God says to Jesus, you are I am. And it's really this amazing thing. <laughs> but th this is the interesting nature of Christ. Not only is he Lord, he's also the one lamenting the fallen nature of, of the world. And we see here this wondrous dichotomy between the deity and manhood of Jesus. That he's both God and man, that he is the Lord through whom all things were created, but he is also the one who looks and laments at the passing nature of the world. 
looks upon his people. He looks upon their suffering. He is the one afflicted, pouring out his lament before the Father. Jesus, who knew what it was to have his days cut short. He was cursed. He was rejected. He died on the cross. And God says to him, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. The world may have crucified you, cried, crucified you, but I have enthroned you. Christ is called Lord. Christ, who laments for his people. We see the eternal sufficiency of God. He who is able to bring us close to God because he is God. And he who is able to bring us close to God because he is man. He is only able to do it because he is both. He is the perfect man. Christ is better because he has no beginning, he has no end. He is eternal. So we should humbly, but boldly come before him. So we see Christ eternal, and we began to look at Christ enthroned, but now let's continue looking at Christ enthroned. Psalm 102 is this wonderful portrait of what the resurrection and ascension of Christ are all about. But the Hebrew writer now moves from Psalm 102 to Psalm 110. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And what we have going on here, I believe, is uh, you have Psalm 102 saying, your kingdom is going to be eternal. And then Psalm 110 says, and this is how I'm going to do it. I am going to make your enemies a footstool for you. God is, in essence, accomplishing the actions of Psalm 102, or excuse me, the words of Psalm 102. And it's throne room language here. It's this Romans 7 language, or excuse me, Revelation 7 language. The angels, the elders, all the living creatures stand before the enthroned sovereign Lord, and they worship him ready to do his will. We see him there reigning, concerned with the affairs of his flocks being seated at the right hand of the Father, he wields authority. He wields power on our behalf. He sends his spirit to bring many to faith. It's a comfort to know that the Lord is busying himself on our behalf. He is laboring and working on our behalf. Sitting at the right hand, he's not sitting there with an angel behind him palm branching him and an angel to his other side feeding him grapes, right? That is not the image of our God. Our God is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for his people, sending his Holy Spirit to be a comfort to us. He looks down from us from his heavenly seat of divine authority, sends his spirit to teach us of him, to enlighten our minds to the knowledge of God, to guide us in paths of righteousness. 
He is ensuring our acceptance into God's presence. That's what he's doing. I'm going to speak a bit anthropomorphically here. It is as if this, and yet nothing like this at the same time. It's as if Jesus is sitting there now, God, remember, that one's mine. And you promised me that that would be mine. So you remember, that one's mine. That's what Jesus is doing. And it's not like God's forgotten, right? That's the, the anthropomorphic part there. It's not like God's going, oh, yeah, it's okay, yeah, that it's, it's not that. But that's what he's doing for us. He is bringing our case before God, pleading it. And every last one, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What is the position of a footstool? Dominated. Dominated. Utterly dominated. You know, there's times where you probably, you've had kids or maybe you were a kid, your parents may jokingly prop you up, pop their feet up on you, right? And a ha, 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 okay, move. It's not what it's like. It's an eternal domination. Could you imagine, you know, Ashton, come here, you're going to be my footstool today. And she literally had to sit there all day on her hands and knees while I propped my feet up on her. She would not be happy, right? And you probably should call the authorities on me. I mean, because that's not really nice or anything. Uh, But that's because it is, it's a position of humiliation and dominance. He will make them a footstool. The curse of the law, sin, Satan, worldly powers, death, the grave, all the enemies of Christ are defeated. It's through the spread of the gospel that he now overcomes his foes. It's the goal of his work, then he will reign forever. Again, I think Revelation points us to a lot of this. Revelation 11, 5 Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and with loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We come to this end, this last verse of these seven verses in chapter 1 on the supremacy of Christ. All proving uh, ultimately that he's greater than the angels, but in reality... Uh, proving that he's greater than everything. Because he is eternal, he's omnipotent, he's unchanging. Our Savior, who was there from all eternity, who the very foundations of the earth were laid upon. He's the rock on which we stand assured. On the cross, Jesus showed his worthiness. To reign in might forever. And God crowned him Lord of all. We must turn to him with confidence for salvation. Here's the wonderful thing. God will never change his mind about you. And he'll never lose the power to save you. If you are his children, then you are his children. And nothing changes that. And nothing can take away God's power to save you. Jesus' power to save you. 
He is able. He is able to take the throne. But not in the same manner David took it. David, who was imperfect, he takes it perfectly. He is Lord and King. His enthronement should bring about great hope in us. He is in control. He was in control. He is in control. And he will be in control forever and ever. So we must bow the knee to our king. I remember growing up singing a song. I don't even remember the song, how it goes, which is probably a good thing for y'all. You don't have to hear me sing it. Talking about, yeah, see, Mark's with me. I don't say that. Talking about, you don't build your house on the sand, right? Because what happens if you build your house on the sand? Yeah, it's going to sink in. When the waters come, road out the, the foundation. The house will fall to pieces. No, you're, you're supposed to build your house on the rock. On the foundation, a sure foundation. That which will not sink in. Any other ground we, ground we try to build upon is just sinking sand. Christ is firm. Plant your feet in him and he will not fail you. Christ is eternal without beginning and without end. And not only is he everlasting, he is unchangeable. That should bring us comfort in a world that is very changeable. Where nothing feels set, he is always the same. And Christ is king. There are none who are better than him. Christ is better than all things. Don't place your hope in this earth. Don't place your hope in the things of this earth. Don't trust in the leaders or the kings of this earth. Put your trust in your one true king who cares for you as a perfect ruler, as a perfect God, perfect in all ways. Jesus is better. Better than what? Everything. He is better than everything. So put your hope, put your faith, put your trust in him who will not fail you. This is the hope we remember this morning at this table. You have a hope here in Jesus, in one who will not fail you. So let's come and pray, even as we prepare our hearts for this table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and thank you for Jesus. He is better. He is a better king. He is a better leader. He is a better savior than anything else in this world can offer us. For he is the power and he is unchangeable. Lord, would this wondrous reality strike us to the core and would we celebrate and worship and come to him in faith because he is better than everything. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand with us now as we sing our first two verses of Behold the Lamb as we prepare for communion this morning. Yeah. 
table of the king. The body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal the dead that brings us life. Paid the price to make us one. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King. that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let the person examine himself then as so he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As we come to this table this morning, I'll remind you that this is not a table of Lakewood Presbyterian Church. This is a table of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you have come and made a public profession of faith, if you come and been baptized in the name of the triune God, then this table is for you. But there is a warning here that in, in coming, we need to come rightly. So if you've not yet done these things, then refrain. If you have questions about these things, then come and ask. But this table is a table for sinners. And, you know, we'll have this table in a while. We'll, after Sunday school, we'll have another table where you come and we have fellowship. But this is not the same kind of table. This is a different kind of table. And I encourage everyone to say for that kind of folks. This is a table. We're not sustained physically. We're sustained spiritually. Where Christ communicates his grace to us in a wondrous and new way. Where we see Christ on display as better than everything. So we come to this table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now and we set aside these elements from their ordinary use. This bread, this juice, this wine. Lord, we don't believe they're somehow mystically or mythically transformed. But we do believe your scripture tells us that Christ is really present here right now in the taking of this table. Would you communicate your grace to us? Would we know the love of Jesus? Would we know him enthroned on high? And would it move us to faithful service in the kingdom of God? We ask and pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. <coughs>
Christ on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and after thanksgiving, he broke it. He said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Take it in remembrance of me. St. Mary took the cup and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Take and drink and remember it's in Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your goodness to us. We rejoice in your mercy. Thank you for showing that grace and mercy to us on display on the cross. Lord, would you fill us with hope and certainty and through Jesus, when we put off the cares of this world, bow the knee to our one true living Savior. Pray all these in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand out as you're able to read the last two verses of the whole plan. The blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember, he drained his cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life. So with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond and to remember 
are called to follow in the steps of Christ as his body here on earth. As we share in his suffering, we proclaim Christ will come again and will join in the feast of heaven around the table the King. Lift up your eyes now, receive the Lord's benediction. Now the God of peace that brought again from the day of our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.